just as tech pros here. Uh, today's episode, uh, I'm going to be focusing on one topic, which was actually a uh, listener request. They wanted to just talk about uh, cameras in the courtroom and how you know they feel, which I agree with, cameras should be in the courtroom. But for uh, purposes of actually recording the proceedings and not related to the whole media aspect. So I'm going to dive into that. But before I um, discuss that a bit, I wanted to bring up a... I was recently interviewed by an online um, website blog. I'm going to put the link. The link will be in the uh, details of this video. And it was actually a good interview. I mean, I I, uh, thank... The individual who runs the website and the interviewer, they were fair. They allowed me to expand on my answers. And, you know, they pretty much just asked me questions I was comfortable with, which I thought uh, could help in a lot of ways. It could help um, shed light on certain things that go on. It could also just enhance people's perspective of what the podcast is about and its uh, genesis. And I, and I was just pleased with how it came out, and I just want to thank them for that. I you know uh, I appreciate the fairness of it. I appreciate the opportunity to not be limited in what I wanted to uh, explain. So again, the uh, link is in the um, description. So check it out if you haven't read it yet. I think it'll it'll be eye opening, and I think it'll be appreciated by some. I say appreciated by some because, as always, just as is life, you're going to have um, opponents of my thought process and opponents who think uh, what I'm saying, you know, is uh, biased and one-sided because I'm trying to stick up for certain people or I'm trying to stick up for what I believe in. And there's a certain truth to that. Of course, there's always going to be a bias if you're uh, um, defending somebody. But there's a big difference when you're laying out facts to support your claims. You know, it's not just the passion and emotion that I'm speaking from. I'm speaking from examples and factual events that took place. So I find it very predictable when I do come across opponents. You know, they have the predictable response, especially I'm sure in a lot of these online um, blog rooms or anything that... Any, any source that gets a wind of the interview, they'll look to, I'm sure, knock it and try to say that things are fair and if you have a label, you deserved to be treated a certain way. And the funny part is they don't comprehend. I'm not appealing to minds like that. Those are closed-minded people who, you know, it, it, that's the problem right there in a nutshell. What I try to appeal to is my sh- on this show is, uh, you know, I'm not delusional. I know when people come from a certain background and they have a certain mindset and they're very closed-minded, you're not going to change that. And they're honestly better off just passing by this, you know, my podcast because it's it's not for them. They need to go to a podcast that just speaks everything that they want to hear and nothing that gives them thought to reflect or to try to look at something from another perspective. This isn't the show. What I try to do is appeal more to those who are open-minded and maybe those who are unaware of things that are going on. And those that can put their personal feelings aside just to try to focus on justice and making sure in our legal system everybody should receive a fair trial and a fair experience if they are unfortunately faced with it. 
those who oppose that, that's all well and good. But guess what? You're predictable, number one. And number two, you're the majority. So it's not as if you're making a stand and saying something that's groundbreaking. You're really not. You're actually just going with the majority of the crowd and the majority of the public. And that's why we have verdicts the way we have them. So I know you think you'll get on your soapbox and you'll talk passionately and you'll try to, you know, knock down certain things and say this is biased. And if they have a label of organized crime or they're defending organized crime or they work in the defense of it, they deserve what they get. You're a very predictable, predictable individual. And that's really the mindset. There's no changing that. But that's the problem. And what's funny is if you're in the dark that you don't think you are the problem by thinking that way. That's what's even more telling. And that's it, you know, in of itself. That's pretty much the situation that people are faced with when, they're, when they go up against an unfair trial. People with that mindset are on the jury. And that's why things go the way they go. And my hopes is to appeal to those that are open-minded, as I said, those who are maybe looking at things from a different perspective, but can respect another point of view on it and are intelligent enough to understand you put feelings aside when you're judging certain things, particularly when you're making a judgment on somebody's life and facts affecting if they are accused of a crime, you want to go by the facts. I mean, that's what the law is. It's about facts and evidence. If you're going to go by your stereotypes then there's nothing I could say or anybody else could say. That's just your mindset. And like I said, I just find it amusing when they think they're they're making a stand or they're saying something creative when they act that way and they act, you know, when they look to bash something that is different of their beliefs. I find it amusing that they think this is some kind of groundbreaking way to conduct themselves. No, that's the norm. You're very predictable. And that's how the majority of uh, the public is. And that's you know, the way it is. So I'm not on here to really, to really get into that side of the public where they're just so close-minded, nothing you say, nothing you show is going to make a difference. And it's like I said in past podcasts, that's really the mindset. It's, you know, when you're trying to explain something to somebody that's factual and black and white, and they don't want to see it only because they're blinding themselves with their own hidden agendas and their own personal views, they're just intentionally blinding their thought process from analyzing the information in front of them. They're ra- rather reverting back to how they personally feel on the topic to make the decision. Then that's just how they operate. There's nothing you can do about that. So again, when you get a chance, um, uh, click on the link. I think you'll enjoy it. It was a great write-up. And, and I, again... Um, I do appreciate uh, the way it was conducted and the way I was treated. And I, and I thank uh, both individuals involved for that. So on to today, as I mentioned earlier, was a, uh, a listener wanted to talk a bit about cameras in the courtroom. And I thought it was, it was a great suggestion because just initially, without even researching a little bit, which I did, right away it just struck out to me how much that would prevent. If you had a camera in the courtroom, it would probably make appeals a hundred times stronger and 
it would probably make behavior much more fair and much more proceeding in the way of obtaining justice because if somebody's on camera, they're going to be very conscious of certain things. They're not going to lose their tempers quickly. They're not going to rule maybe so blatantly unfairly. It's almost like a uh, checks and balances within the courtroom where you're having a a recording device oversee the proceedings. And I, and I think that would be powerful. When I was reading, I started diving into some of the research of it and the history of it. And it seems like the whole camera in the courtroom thing really became a, uh, where, that's where the ban of cameras got spurred was from the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, that trial uh, back in 1935 is when, uh, that's when the cameras in the courtroom were, were significantly challenged. And the reason was during the, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping trial, this was way before my time, but um, there was chaos apparently from the media. I mean, people cl crawling all over people, trying to take pictures, and it was very distracting. And I, and I could totally see that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about cameras for media purposes. And uh, I believe uh, the listener was also on the same line of thinking as I am. We're talking more of cameras in the courtroom to oversee the proceedings. And when you think about that, there's really no negative side to that. If it's an internal thing that only the defense could access, the prosecutor could access, and the courts could access, there's no downside to it. Because it's recorded, there's no violation of privacy, it's just recording the proceedings that are in the courtroom, which is already witnessed by those in the courtroom, and you only allow... As I said, the court, the prosecutor, the government, and the defense access to the proceedings so they could review it. And it's such a simple concept that you would figure is a no-brainer, and then you start to question, why is that? And I'm not a big, you know, I try to stay away from sounding like a, a conspiracy, you know, type individual, where I'm always thinking there's some kind of conspiracy going on, but... Forget about conspiracy. Just look at the, the facts on that. Why would there be opposition to cameras in the courtroom that have nothing to do with the media? It's an internal thing that can only be accessed by the defense of the prosecutor or the government. And it's just part of the justice system and how it plays out. There really should be no objection to that because it protects everybody. It protects the uh, prosecutor from anything the defense may be doing that would not be picked up on without a camera, protects the defense. And it will also be a tremendous tool for appeals. I mean, I just think how powerful that would be if you submit a, uh, let's just say you're submitting part of your appeal argument was prosecutorial misconduct. Maybe they did a few things in the courtroom, said some things they shouldn't have said, reacted in ways they shouldn't have reacted that was influencing the jury. And now you have a visual representation you could hand over attached to your appeal that would be incredibly powerful you know to be able to see it play out as they're reading it in the appeal I think that would do tremendous amount of good and it would keep a lot of people honest uh, as I touched on earlier when there's a camera recording your every move and you're in a professional environment and you're in a serious environment like that you're going to be very fine-tuned to your actions you're going to be very aware of how you're conducting yourself. And it'll keep people honest. It'll 
it'll keep, I, I personally think it can only help both sides. And being on the defense, I'd want it to help our side, obviously. And I think that could only help the situation. I think it would prevent a lot of what plays out from playing out. I mean, if let's just say you're getting unfair rulings time and again, and the judge is inter- uh, offering rulings and issuing rulings that just constantly go against the defense. You know, who knows? Maybe knowing there's a camera in there, those things would be second-guessed. Maybe if you know you know that you're under that type of scrutiny and it, and it's being videotaped. So now, in addition to the minutes, you have the actual videotape, which, you know, when you read something, sometimes it can't portray what actually took place because there's a lot of other visual aspects of an experience that can't be explained in the written word. You know, somebody may make gestures, somebody may use sarcastic uh a sarcastic remark which doesn't play off that way when you read it, but yet that's how it's intended. I mean, there's a lot of ways, as we know, between just human behavior. If you're seeing it visually, it could have a, a, a completely different impact and uh, level of acceptance or a level of taking it in than if you're just reading it off a piece of paper. So I think a lot of that would limit if there was cameras in the courtroom it would obviously limit a lot of that from taking place and it makes you think why would they be so against it and I saw the more I read it seems like they just keep using the media as the excuse of why there's no cameras in the courtroom but again that's kind of playing with with words what I would want and I believe what everybody would want it has nothing to do with the media and with the press what I'm talking about is an internal thing that's just part of the court proceedings. So the media excuse wouldn't even play into it where they're saying it's a distraction because I do b- agree with that. It would be a distraction. And a lot of defendants wouldn't want that getting out in the media. They wouldn't want their business broadcast. That's not what it should be used for. This should just be an internal process and an internal uh, way in which the trial operates. In other words, from the day you get indicted, every proceeding is recorded. And I just think that would be a phenomenal tool. If you could go back as the defense team and really review these things play out, review what happened in the courtroom, I'm sure it would increase the powers of motions. Imagine being able to submit a video clip along with your motion for the judge to view. You know, and it may be a good tool even for the judge where if he or she unintentionally is, say, doing certain things or making certain rulings, but if they have the video camera, it may wake them up a little bit. And again, you know, put them on notice. Just keep them a little bit more sharp for the proceedings and to try to remind them also to be fair because a judge is human. That's just how it goes. A judge is human and maybe sometimes... It should never happen, but sometimes it does happen, which is the reality. Personal views and opinions leak into the rulings and leak into what's allowed for the defense and what's not. And maybe a camera would prevent a lot of that. And honestly, I don't even think it's a maybe, in my opinion, the way I see it. Personally, I think it would prevent 99.9% of it. The only things it wouldn't prevent is if somebody gets so... If their temper kicks in so, <laughs> so, so um, strongly 
that they just react not caring whether they're on camera or not. But I think the majority of it, it's going to be, it's going to allow for a much more fair trial and a much more fair proceedings than are currently in play. And again, I can't relate to the other side of that because the only argument I've seen has to do with the media and the way I just laid it out, the media wouldn't even be involved. This isn't something for the media. This is just a tool for the defense, for the prosecution, for the government, and for the courts just to have and to use. It's just in the, you know, it's almost like a another process, another another tool of the justice system where you have the motions as a tool. Now you have you have video um, video recordings of the proceedings as another tool, and it really makes you question why is there so much pushback from it? Why is the government so anti? cameras on the federal level especially uh some courts some state courts especially civil i was reading are a little more liberal with that and they and they have they've even done an experiment where they had an experiment back in 2011 where they had a certain number of uh, state civil courtrooms almost like a test uh they allowed the proceedings to be videotaped but i think on the federal you know on the federal level it's not really an option there has been motions where people would want it to go live for the media, but again, that's you know not what I'm talking about. So I would want um, on the federal level. It really makes you think why they would be against that. There's really no rhyme or reason. I know if I'm if I'm a lawyer, let's say, and I'm defending a case, I would have no reason not to want the camera. Then I'm not worried about me doing anything that's unethical or against process. I'm going to go and do my job, and whatever I'm allowed to do by law to defend my client, that's what I'm going to do. So I don't care if it's videotaped or not videotaped. It really doesn't matter to me. And that's what everybody should think, everybody who has a part in that courtroom, whether it's the judge, whether it's the prosecutor, U.S. attorney, whoever it may be, everybody should have the same idea in their head that it doesn't matter whether or not it's filmed or not because they're just going there to do their job. It's those who maybe are not going there to do their job and are looking to do things that may be questionable, who are pushing back so hard against it. Maybe that's the problem right there in and of itself. And uh, there was a petition started for the cameras in the courtroom. And I'm also going to put that link on my uh, in the details of this video. So if you agree with it, you know, just give it a shot. Sign it. I don't know, you know, it can't hurt. Put it that way. It's only something that could help, and again, it's really, it's not, it's not for the media, it's nothing like that. This is something that could just protect the defendant, and I don't see the downside of it. On either side of the coin, I don't see the downside of it. You know, another thing I wanted to um, touch on a little bit as well was a couple times in court, I would see, um, you know, they would try to paint the defendant, they used like these terms where they would talk about different defendants and whether it was the judge or the prosecutor, they would try to act as if, well, they have um, two sides to them. You know, it's very common where they have two sides, almost trying to make it like they have two personalities, you know, like a, a good one and a bad one. And to me, that's such a hypocritical statement because think about, in general, everybody, whether it's the judge the prosecutor, whoever it is, the people serving on the jury, the people in the audience. If you want to put it in those terms, wouldn't you say everybody has different sides to them? 
it's a hypocritical statement because, in other words, I know me, for example. I may act one way with my friends where I'm more comfortable, another way when I'm at a business meeting, another way when I'm dealing with a, a new client, another way when I'm dealing with a client I'm comfortable with. I'm sure my my children would tell you I'm a different person at home. I obviously are not going to act with my family as I do with, say, uh, strangers or a professional. Every, every situation you're put in, human nature, you're going to act accordingly, you know, unless... Unless you have something wrong with you where you're just going to act the same way or whether the situation calls for it or not. You can't read a room. And, you know, but what I'm talking about is I don't know how that's... They try to paint it as if this Jekyll and Hyde thing. See, that's how they try to paint it. And they try to switch it that way and make it that the defendant's more of a Jekyll and Hyde where it's a sinister attribute for somebody to have or a sinister characteristic. And when you hear it, you could tell that's what they're hinting at, but if you think about it, you know, I just think to myself, does the judge act the same way in the courtroom that he or she does in their house as they do with their husband or they do with their kids? Of course not. Everybody acts different. So I don't even know what the point is of that. I know they're trying, I, I should rephrase that. I know what the point is of that. They're trying to paint the defendant as some type of dual personality, evil individual. That's what they're trying to do. And again, if somebody's not breaking down what they're saying, they're going to buy into that. And people should be a little more realistic with themselves when they're hearing these crazy things thrown around in the courtroom. They should really break it down and ask themselves who, who doesn't have different sides of them. It's not about being a Jekyll and Hyde. It's about reading the room. It's about uh, uh, changing for the environment, conducting yourself properly in different environments. You know, it's uh, if you go to a bar, you act one way, let's just say, maybe you're a little more uh, loose, you're hanging out, you're a little more comfortable. You go to a high-end restaurant, you're not going to be yelling as if you're in a loud, crowded bar. You know, different environments cause for different ways of behavior. And that's not a negative thing to have. That's that's a good trait to have. I think that so, shows intelligence where you have somebody who can adapt and they don't act the same way in every type of environment. You know, you're going to a funeral, you're going to be, uh, if you're normally an upbeat person who's always laughing and telling jokes, are you going to go into a funeral and start telling jokes? I think everybody will look at you, with a, you know, not too happily if they see that. And that's my point. You see these these mundane points that are made, that they go over a lot of people's heads, but when they make them, they, they try to take the defendant and twist their actions. They try to make them all, this guy's a Jekyll and Hyde. And, you know, that's why, you know, because, and, and they use that, they use that, I noticed, when uh, a lot of times individuals will go for sentencing, you know, and the families and people who care about them will write letters. And to, to almost wash themselves of having to hear what a good person this individual may be that is sitting in front of them, they don't want to hear that. So the way that they make it right in their head they tell themselves, oh, I'm dealing with a Jekyll and Hyde. He's fooling everybody. He's one way with one people, but he's really not this good person that these dozens of letters say. And that's not what they want to hear. And again, that's not true. That's not true. Just because somebody may be accused of a crime, you want to say, you want to then make it that they have no redeeming qualities, nothing about them that speaks what kind of a human they are, what kind of an individual, what kind of, you know, what people they may have helped, people who care about them. It's just a twisted way I noticed and and the the way it was used was really 
disturbing in what I witnessed. It had a lot, it always came into play, I noticed, when like uh, letters were, were read, you know, from um, families and from friends and loved ones of the defendant. They would just pretty much dismiss those letters by just saying, you know, they're dismissing, they're dismissing everybody's feelings and everybody who put the effort in to write that letter and everybody who thought that the letter would be read with a fair eye and an unbiased eye and with an open mind and then that letter gets pretty much trashed and gets dismissed as if it's just nonsense because the defendant is a Jekyll and Hyde and those letters mean nothing because they're talking about this other personality, this imaginary personality that they're making up. And that's what really gets disturbing, you know, when you see the families get affected by that and they see that their words have no impact and it's almost as if their words get used against them you know because they try to make it as if those letters are just a last attempt to try to again fool somebody when it's not these are heartfelt heartfelt emotions people are trying to help their loved one in any way they can because unfortunately you're usually helpless there's not much you could do so they feel if they have one contributing part which is to put a pen to paper and write down some words about a person they may care about, and then to have it dismissed as if it meant nothing. You know, that's not right. And I, and I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it, you get um, these people, a lot of the time, some people, I should say, sometimes judges or prosecutors, they make these things personal when they really shouldn't be personal. I mean, even for a prosecutor or you figure they're just doing their job it's their case just do your job when they get so personal with things it really makes you question what's going on and there's no talk about checks and balances there's no checks and balances for that you know uh, if someone's not taking things personally they'll go by the law and they'll go by what's right and what's wrong when they're taking it personally all that goes out the window they just have their eye on the prize and it all goes into, you know, all these things, each episode that I try to do, they all, if you notice, they all kind of run into one another. And it's almost as, you know, a common theme. And I think that's why when, the, uh, you know, like the camera came up, I thought it fit in so perfectly. I thought it was a great idea because it just fits into the whole concept of just trying to keep things in a more fair manner. And they're not playing out that way right now. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. Because they haven't, they haven't experienced it. And they're not going to hear it. If you get a closed-minded person, they're not going to hear it. The only time people are going to hear it is when you're dealing with an intelligent, reasonable person. And whether they like somebody or not, that's irrelevant. If you're just going by the facts and if you read the law and you understand the law and then you're seeing it play out and it's not playing out the way it's written, that would tell any reasonable person something's wrong. The only people who would feel there's nothing wrong with that are those who are unreasonable and those who have an agenda and those who make things personally. You know, it's like anything else. It's almost like rules of a, of a, of a sporting event. If there's certain rules that need to take place for that sporting event and little by little the rules start changing, are you really even playing the same game anymore? If you start changing the rules, not going by the rules, inventing things, are you even playing the same game? And the answer is you're not. That's why there are rules put into play. That's why there are systems to be followed 
and to be executed in the manner in which they're supposed to be carried out. And that's the um, reasoning, to have structure and to have things laid out. I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's endless guidelines, regulations, statutes. If they're all followed, you know, then at least you know things are going in the right direction. And, and you're on the path to get a fair trial. It's when things are changed up. That's when the whole system gets out of whack. And when tools are used in, in ways they're not supposed to be used. And, you know, it, it all goes back to accountability. And I did an episode on accountability where, unfortunately, even if things are done unintentionally uninten- on the side of being uh, unfair... There's no repercussions for that. So when you think about it, what gauge does somebody have? If somebody is not fair and somebody's not looking to do things as they're supposed to be done in the eyes of the law, there's really nothing to keep them on track or on path for that because there's no price to pay. And the scary part is if things go south, the defendant has a horrible negative result and now they have to go through the system once again to try to appeal and to try to get justice at another level. And when you see things playing out, if you're involved in the trial and you're going through trial and you see things are playing out poorly and you're not getting the rulings you should be getting and things just aren't falling into play the way they should be, it's extremely concerning because you know there's really nothing you could do. You know, it just has to play out, and then you have to hope for your second shot, which would be at the appeal level. But that in and of itself is a problem. I mean, to have to endure that in the first place, you would want it to be fair from from inception. That's really all I got for this episode. I, I would just want the listeners to think about the whole camera in the courtroom situation and to really debate internally for themselves how there is no downside to that, especially as I explained where it would only be used as part of the judicial process and to ensure that everyone's getting a fair trial, you know, and then if, if, if need be used for motions, used for appeal, you know, I just don't see the downside of that. And if there was an aspect where say, you know, uh, they would want certain you know, certain ones to be public, that could be a case-by-case basis. But if the process is just automatically where cameras are allowed in the courtroom, and then the whole media aspect of it could be weighed individually. You know, it could be gauged based on motions. If, uh, If the defense team does want certain things broadcasted, that could be a whole different argument. But I think the initial concept of just having them in the courtroom for legal proceedings and for a legal tool on both sides is only beneficial. So again, I'm putting two links in the uh, details of the podcast. One is for the article, which um, I think you'll enjoy it. And the other one is is for the um, petition about the cameras in the courtroom. So just, you know, have a look. And if you you agree with it, I'd appreciate it if you sign the petition. And uh, feel free to drop me an email. Let me know what you thought about the... uh, interview and about any of the episodes and again any uh show ideas just email um my company it's info at justice and just put podcast in the subject 
and they'll forward it to me and I'll check it out. Thank you for tuning in. Have a good night.